Our scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, and then we will also read from Romans chapter 1, 18 through 21. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And now from the book of Romans. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. For our Advent series, we are looking at some of the songs sung at Christmas and we're looking at the biblical text that support them. And since today we lit the angel's candle in the Advent wreath, I chose as our song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's written by Charles Wesley, who also wrote another Christmas song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. When I was a child, before I could read, you know, we learned these Christmas songs without really reading what the words were or how they were spelled. And so when we sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, I thought they were singing about an angel named Harold. My dad's name is Harold, and I thought, oh, how cool that my dad has the same name as an angel. But when we read this hymn, we come away being amazed at its theology, especially its high Christology, its theology of Christ. And so we're going to uh, look at the words and, um, and hear what Wesley wants us to hear from the angels and what he wants us to hear from the scripture regarding Christ. Because what Wesley wants is for us to come away being awed with the glory of Christ. Now, since the refrain of this song calls us to give God glory, to give glory to the newborn king, let's first explore what glory means. When we speak of glory, we speak of God's majesty, beauty, splendor, and his esteem. It can also refer to the glorious light that surrounds his presence. So when the angels appeared to the shepherds, the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
when Moses wanted to see the glory of God, God had to hide him in the cleft of a rock because of his glory's brilliance. And when the glory of God filled the tabernacle or the temple, it came in the form of a cloud with brilliant light. So not only does God have glory, but it's also possible for us to glorify him. And we glorify him when we recognize, acknowledge, and speak forth great things about his attributes, his glory, his beauty, and his esteem. The angels give God glory because he already possesses it, in contrast to us humans who don't have it, but crave it. From time to time, you'll see someone on a basketball court or a baseball or football field, and we'll say of them, they are glory hogs because they play the game for their own glory. We say of them, they are full of themselves. And this is what really repulses us because we know that no one is worthy of true glory. But when we elevate anything above God in importance, then we glorify that thing more than God. And herein is the root of sin. When we give glory and worth to anything that is to us more important than God. He alone is glorious, and so it is right to value him and exalt him above all else. Now, our song tells us why Christ is worthy to receive glory, and it is because of what he's accomplished. We read it in the words, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Now, when we hear the words of the angels, they say, peace on earth on whom God's favor rests. People through the ages read that line, peace on earth, and they think, well, that means that there's not going to be any more war on the earth. But that's not the peace the angels or the scriptures talk about here. The peace the scripture talks about is that there's peace on those whom God's favor or grace rests. Because now people and God are reconciled. Reconcile means to put together a relationship that's been broken. And we need to be reconciled to God because scripture says we by nature are estranged from God. Like a wife who has left her husband, there's estrangement and enmity there. And what has caused this estrangement is our sin. Romans 3, chapter 10 says this of all people in their natural state. There's no one righteous. No, not one. There's no one who does absolute good. There's no one who seeks God. And so by our actions, we basically say, I don't care what you have to say, God, I'm going to do what I want. Now imagine if one of your kids said that to you. I don't care what you say, Dad, I'm going to do what I want. What would you say back? Who are you to talk to me like this? And yet we do that with God. 
that's created estrangement. There's enmity. And because of this enmity and thanklessness, here's what Romans chapter 18 says, is deserving of all people. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for things. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Wrath would be coming our way unless we were reconciled to God. And this is what God does in sending his son. We're reconciled to the death of Christ. Now, to be reconciled, we first have to deal with that thing that stands between us, and that thing between us is sin. So God takes our sin, puts it on Christ, punishes it in Christ. It's dealt with, and now there's no sin between us and God. We are reconciled. And God considers us just, not guilty. He treats us and regards us as if we have not sinned. Now, this took great love for God to overcome his wrath. And we know it took great love because of what it cost him. It cost him the life of his son. Now, if I was suffering from kidney failure and I needed a kidney transplant and we found out that your young son or daughter was a match for me, would you sign the consent form so that they could give me their kidney? You're probably thinking, no, and I'm your pastor. There's no way you would do this for an enemy. The scripture says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because we have been reconciled by God's love, there is peace. This is the peace the angels spoke of. This peace means several things to us. First of all, it is the starting point for all the blessings of God. Because now we are his friends. We are even his children. And so now we're in a position to receive the blessings and the goodness of God. After a Thanksgiving day, I took my son James to uh, the Eisenhower Museum in Abilene, and we read about the Marshall Plan, where after the defeat of Germany and Japan during World War II, we actually rebuilt their economies and pledged to them our friendship and pledged ourselves to their defense. Former enemies became friends, and they received blessings from the U.S. This is what God has done with us. Because we are friends and children, we are the recipients 
of his goodness and his blessings. And for this, our king deserves glory, and so we sing glory. Glory to the newborn king. Well, the king not only deserves glory for what he has done, but also for who he is, and that's the subject of the next group of stanzas. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Our God is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus existed before time as the eternal Son of God. He was the Logos, or the Word of God, with God in the beginning. And after men fell away in sin, God promised them a deliverer. To Abraham, he said that uh, from you, from your seed, will come one who will be a blessing to the nations. Through the prophets, he promised a Messiah who would save. And in the fullness of time, the Logos, the eternal Son of God, became incarnate by a miracle of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and he was conceived. Conceived as a human, born as a human. He lived as a human with all the weaknesses that humanity has, hunger, tiredness, even able to die. And so we call him Emmanuel, God with us. And for the span of 33 years, the second person of the Trinity laid his glory aside and lived as a man. The book of Colossians says it pleased him to be a man, and to live as a man. And yet, the man Jesus was God, the same God through whom all things were made. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, incarnate deity, pleased as a man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. And so we sing glory, glory to the newborn king. Our song sheds further light on the identity of Jesus, describes it as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, and and it uses several titles to do this. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son, S-U-N, of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. So the peace of peace is a reference to Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The son of righteousness is a promise from Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But as for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise up with healing in his wings. Light and life comes from John chapter uh, 1, verse 4, to him, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The Old Testament link is Psalm 36, 9, where it reads, for with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. All the promises 
God made to his people are fulfilled in Christ, the Messiah. And so we sing glory, glory to the newborn king. Well, so far, our song tells us, here's what Jesus came to do. Here is who he is. He's also the fulfillment of messianic promises. And now the next group of stanzas tells us what happens in us as a result. Born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Jesus came to save us from eternal death, the eternal dying that goes on because we're separated from him, the death that comes to all of our bodies. But he defeats this death by giving us life that's eternal, and this eternal life just keeps on going after our bodies die. This life begins when God regenerates our hearts, takes our heart of stone and makes it into a heart of flesh. And now this heart of flesh is responsive to him. It wants to know him. It desires to please him. It has the ability to worship him. And when God replaces our heart of stone with a heart of flesh, we call that the second birth or regeneration or being born again. Some years back, I was um, playing golf and I got matched up. There's three of us playing and so this guy joined our foursome and he asked me what I did for a living and I told him that I was a pastor. And he goes, oh, you're, you're one of those. Well, my, my daughter's born again. I'm a Catholic. And so I said, um, well, you're not born again? He goes, no. And I says, well, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Um, do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Do you worship him? Yes. Do you think you're going to heaven? You're part of the kingdom of God? Yes. And I said then, Scripture says you're born again. Jesus says unless a person is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So you're, you're either born again or you need to be. This is why people don't like playing golf with me. <laughs> Actually, he started to, to shank his shots after that, and this is why I, I, I share the gospel on the golf course. <laughs> but everyone who enters the kingdom of heaven must be born again. Now, sometimes we know when this is. We raised our hands at the Westminster Woods and there's something different about our life or maybe someone shared the gospel with us and we just sensed a, a different heart. Maybe we were baptized in the church as infants and we just grew up knowing and loving Jesus, but regardless of when it happened, everyone who belongs to the Lord is born again. Everyone who hopes to be saved needs to be born again. Now, this being born again gives us a new heart, a heart that wants to please God, a heart that wants to worship God, a heart that wants to glorify God. And yes, we drag with us this 
body of flesh that's part of our own nature and so, you know, we're tempted and we struggle with things, but deep in our hearts, we want to please him. This is the second birth. The second birth is the work of God. It's he who gives us a new heart. Before we ever came to faith in Jesus. And maybe you're thinking, hmm, I don't think I've ever known about being born again. But the desire is there, and even that desire is the work of God. And you can say to him, Jesus, I trust you. I want to know you. I'm going to give my life to you. I want to be led by your word and by your spirit. Those who are born again are enthralled with God's glory. And so they can sing glory, glory to the newborn king. Charles Wesley wrote this hymn with the goal of painting for us the glorious nature of Christ. But here's what's really amazing. That the glorious Son of God would lay aside his glory and become the humblest of humans to save us because he loved us. And that echoes another song by Charles Wesley. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? And so we sing glory. Glory to the newborn king. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we know we fall short of your glory. And so we're grateful for your mercy in Christ Jesus. If we have been reconciled to you through faith in your Son, then Lord, we're grateful for that. That is your doing. We praise you. Maybe there are are some here this morning who are, are not quite sure but there's enough of a desire in them to want to know you. Let their prayer this morning be this. Lord Jesus, I trust in you. I want to know you. I want the new birth you talk about. I want you to fill me with your spirit. I want you to live your life through me. Lord, as much as I know how, I'll yield my life to you. In your name I pray. Lord, I pray that you would be exalted in our lives above anything else, that a chief desire in our heart would be to glorify you. We invite you to do this work in us this morning, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.